So today, I want to preach this message out of Revelation chapter 9. And if you have your Bibles, I'll begin reading in verse 13 to the uh, conclusion of the chapter. Next week, I'm going to preach a message on the characters of Christmas. been studying this text in Matthew chapter 2 uh, this past week. Really looking forward to that message. Then the following week, uh, Pastor O'Chester is going to preach to us. So you're going to get two uh, Christmas messages, and I know that he will, he will bless us on the 28th as you come and hear uh, God's man preach, preach the Word of God. And so today, it's going to be Revelation chapter 9. It's already about 20 till 12, okay? And so what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to preach and edit as I preach. And that's not easy for me, especially when I'm in my six pages of manuscript. So having said that, let me say this. As I walk through this message and expedite it, I do invite you, if you're interested and you want to know more about the text, more about different theories and what's involved in Revelation 9, I invite you to go. You can download this. You can go to the computer. You can come to our office. We'll give you a copy of it. And so you can have a running commentary of the book of Revelation. Now, chapter 9 is fascinating. In fact, it's one of the most fascinating and difficult text in all the apocalypse for our human faculties, our cognitive abilities to literally try to wrap our minds around what John saw. I'm not going to say it's impossible because we we can understand it. It's just that we may not be able to understand all of it, and we have to be at peace with that because sometimes we just have to accept by faith what our mere mortal minds just simply cannot absorb. It reminds me of a biography I read a few years ago, August Heckscher's biography on the 28th president of the United States, a man by the name of Woodrow Wilson. Now, Woodrow Wilson was a good Presbyterian. In fact, he was converted to Christ when he was 16 years of age. He became a member of the first Presbyterian church in Columbia, South Carolina. And he would give testimony. He would say things like, my faith is dear to me, it's very meaningful to me, and I could summarize my faith this way, that it is pure and simple. When his wife passed away, uh, he held on to his faith. He continued to trust in the Lord. In 1915, and you remember that year, uh, of course we weren't born, most of us weren't, but 1915, we were in the second year of World War I that began in 14 and ended in 18. A friend came to Woodrow Wilson at the White House during these war times, and they began to dialogue in my favorite quote in that large biography I read many years ago. I jotted it down for you because it is very apropos to what we're about to read in Revelation 9 as far as the mental faculty of mankind trying to absorb and understand everything, and sometimes we just can't. And this is what he said. Woodrow Wilson said, there are people who believe only so far as they can understand. That seems to me presumptuous, and it sets their understanding as the standard of the universe. End of quote. It's a powerful quote. There are things, many things, that we have to accept simply by childlike trust and childlike faith. When I come to Revelation chapter 9, I'll be honest with you, there are a lot of things I understand. And in fact, the last part of it, it's not, the, it's not that I don't understand it. I understand it completely and thoroughly, and you will too. But there's a section there of many similes and metaphors and analogies and 200 million armies strong. And, and it, I'm just going to prepare you. It's hard to understand all of that, but let us read it. And let us allow the Spirit of God to speak to us and let Him be our teacher uh, this morning. Then the sixth angel sounded. This is the sixth of seven trumpet angels. And I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. 
And this voice, I believe it's the voice of God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared, now notice this, watch the detail of this. These four angels, they had been prepared for the hour and the day and the month and the year, and they were released to kill a third of mankind. A third of all living mankind in the great tribulation will be exterminated. They will be killed. Now, the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. Now, there weren't even 200 million people on planet Earth when John saw this vision in A.D. 95 on the island of Patmos. But then, he, then just to make sure that we understand that he heard correctly, he said, I heard the number of them. Verse 17, and thus I saw the horses in the vision, and those who sat on them. Now, here's where it becomes really interesting. They had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur, sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions. And out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. By these three plagues... A third of mankind was killed. Now, that's twice he has told us. Uh, earlier in the fifth trumpet plague, it says a, a, a third of mankind was killed. Now, another third of mankind is killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents having heads, and with them they do harm. Now, verse 20 is the part we all understand. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of their works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Now remember with me, this is during the Great Tribulation. We are past the midway point of the Great Tribulation, and now uh, you're in the latter half of those seven years of Jacob's trial, this time of woe, this time that Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, it was Christ himself who referred to this time period as the Great Tribulation. And so today we're going to look at the decree that was given by God to these angels we're going to look at this utter word of devastation, and then finally, this word of, of defiance. First of all, the word of decree. Now, I interpret the voice from the golden altar as none other than the voice of God when he gives the decree or the command to the sixth angel to begin his work. Now, when you're in verse 13, think about what is going on. God is absolutely sovereign. He is in control. We've already seen the the seven judgments, the seven, first seven judgments. Now we're into the second, what is called the second seven judgments, which is the trumpets. We're in the sixth of the seven. And God says from the, the voice from the golden altar. Now, the golden incense altar is a conspicuous piece of furniture in the Old Testament. When you look at the tabernacle, when you look at the temple, there's this golden incense altar. And the priest would go in and he would offer incense as an offering to God along with the prayers of the people. But when you come to the book of Revelation, 
When you see this incense altar, it does have the connotation of prayer and worship, but it also always has the connotation of judgment. And that's what you see happening here, that God is about to unleash the sixth trumpet judgment on planet earth. He said, say to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Now, this angel of God releases these four bound angels. Now, a good question is, are these four bound angels, are they good angels or are they bad angels? Well, it will help you understand that this word bound is in the perfect tense. Bound means that they have been bound, they are being bound, and they will continue to be bound until the day, the hour, the month, and the year. And also, you never read in Scripture where a good angel is bound. Okay, so it helps us to understand that these are demonic beings, these demonic angels, if you will, that are under the the power of God, and God is about to release them as they do their judgment. Now, notice the river, the Euphrates River. This is fascinating to me because this same river is conspicuously mentioned in the book of Genesis, and now again it's conspicuously mentioned in the book of Revelation. And by the way, it is that very river that you know today as the river Euphrates in the Middle East. In fact, we have a picture of this river, and I want to take you through it for just a moment because this is very important. I have a high-powered pen here, and I'm going to try it out. Let me see if we can go to this. Y'all see that right there? Ooh, that's strong. Let's see if it works over here. Yeah, it works there. Let's see if it works back there. Do y'all see that one? Wow, that thing is strong. Look at that thing. It is powerful. Okay, so let's, let's look at this. Let's use this one here. So you have um, the Euphrates River. Do you see it right here? It begins up here in Turkey. And then Euphrates, it runs from here, Mount Ararat in Turkey. And it's, it, it flows beginning in Syria right here. Watch this. It runs through the entire nation of Syria. This, by the way, is a modern-day map. Okay? And it runs through the whole length of the country of Iraq. And here it partners with its sister river, the Tigris, and it dumps into the Persian Gulf. 1,700 miles is the Euphrates River. It's mentioned many times in the book of Genesis with Adam and Eve where Cain killed Abel. Genesis 11 where you have the Tower of Babel. 1,700 miles long a very noted, conspicuous river, the most important river in all that part of the world, the Euphrates River, and there's coming a day that at this point, somewhere around this river, God is going to release this 200 million strong army, and they're going to wreak havoc upon planet, upon planet Earth. You say, you really believe that, Brother Danny? I really do. I really believe that there is a Euphrates River, and it's that very river, and there is coming a time during the Great Tribulation where... God is going to commission these four demonic beings, and they're going to release this 200 million army to do havoc upon planet Earth. So let's talk about that, number two, as we move quickly. Point number two is the word destruction. If you would, just take your your outline that we gave you and write point number one is decree, and number two is the word destruction, verses 15 through 19. Dr. Robert Thomas says this about this 200 million army. 
And he talks about the four angels. He said, they had fallen from divine favor, but they still had experienced divine preparation for their nefarious task. God's actions are not accidental, but they are planned and precise in time to the point of a fixed hour, a fixed day, a fixed month of a fixed year. All the forces of history are under his sovereign control. Can can I just say amen to that? All the forces of history, angelic, demonic, good and evil, they all come under the authority of Almighty God. Now some of you question that today because we see so much evil, rampant, just like inexorable, relentless evil all over planet earth, and yet God still is the reigning monarch. He is the good despot, if you will. He is in control. And what we are seeing in this great tribulation is God is taking the title deed to planet earth and he's giving it back to his son, Jesus Christ, because it has been usurped, if you see, by the evil one, by the devil, who is very real and very powerful, I do not doubt. Let me mention this to you because I got my numbers mixed up a moment ago. During the fourth sealed judgment, one-fourth of the people died. We talked about that. We preached about that. Let me give you some examples. Let me just use the round figure of six billion people. Let's say that there are six billion people on planet Earth during the Great Tribulation. I know there's almost seven billion today. I get that. But if you struggled as much with math as I did, you will understand why I'm using this, this, this number, this whole number here of six. And it would go like this. At the time... 1.5 billion people would already have died through the fourth trumpet judgment, leaving a total of 4.5 billion. Now one-third of the population is killed. You take a third of that, and now you're down to about 3 billion people. So listen to this. Over the course of just a few months, half of the world's population will be destroyed during the Great Tribulation. You see, this is why I know for a fact This book has not happened yet. Because we can look, and we can look all through history as much as we can through antiquity, and you're not going to see the devastation and the chaos. It's not happened yet because I believe it is absolutely a book about the future. Okay, so let's talk about these 200 million army strong. And church, I tell you, I have read so many theories I've got so many ideas and theories and hypotheses circulating in my mind, and there are two basic answers to it. This 200 million army is human. This 200 million army is demonic. And I tell you, there are people that I have great respect for and love deeply who absolutely disagree. David Jeremiah, for example, says the 200 million army, it's man. You know, during the World War II, during the 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 mighty battle between the Allied and Axis forces, a combined total of those armies was about 200 million when you combine them all. And so David Jeremiah says it's not a stretch of the imagination to say that this is a 200 million army strong preparing to do this great battle. Other people that that I've read, they believe that it is absolutely demonic. It is of a spiritual nature, this 200 million demons, if you will, that go out and unleash devastation on planet Earth. And I just got to be honest with you, I really don't know. 
I don't know if you, your preachers, you ever heard your pastors say that very often. They're just sometimes that, I just don't know. I just know it's going to be bad, and I'm just glad to God I'm not going to be here. How's that for an answer? Okay, so it's, it could be a 200 million army of men. It could be demons. But I'm telling you in verses 15 through 19, as you look at it, they are some hideous creatures. I mean, they have, they're riding on these horses, John sees. Now, by the way, David Jeremiah believes this refers to nuclear warfare. Other writers would say that's anachronistic, and you should not say that, Dr. Jeremiah, because we don't know that this is going to be a nuclear. It could be. I don't know. But I do know he describes these horses with these breastplates and these riders on the horses. They have heads of, of lions, which denotes power and strength. And they have these tails, these serpent-like tails, and, and that, that connotes this conniving and this, this venom, this ability to, to kill. And so you can come to your own conclusion, whether you think it's metaphorical or whether you think it's literal. I just know it's going to be, it's going to be devastating because they go out, and when these lion-like, snake-like creatures are unleashed on mankind, unlike the fourth seal judgment where, or the other judgments where they are, only, uh, they are only stung. For example, remember the locust and the scorpions. These don't sting, they kill, and so they are put to death. You know, I can see why people don't want to preach from Revelation. It scares the eebie-jeebies out of you. You're like, good night. I can understand why I was counseled, counseled years ago as a young pastor. Don't ever preach from that book because people don't want to hear that book. It'll just scare them. But guys, I, I just believe if, if God put it in the canon of Scripture, He did it for a reason. And if He did and it's all preterist, it's all the past, then you'll learn something Anyhow, if you believe like me, it refers to the future, then not only will you learn something, but you'll be understanding and prepared to make sure at all costs you would avoid it. So you have the decree that has gone out and the word of destruction. And by the way, I've got a lot more notes and I've got a lot more emphasis and footnotes and those kind of things. You can, you can get this and you can read it. But let me go to number three, and that's the word defiance. The defiance. The demonic creatures, or if it's the humans... Resembling horses, lions, and snakes, they're let loose by the four bound demon angels at the Euphrates River. They go out, they inflict pain to the point of one-third of the inhabitants of the world are dead. Some, no doubt, are protected. Some who have the seal of God on their foreheads, I really believe they are, they are protected. But most of mankind, in light of everything that they see, all of these miracles, all of this catastrophe, it still is not enough to dislodge them from their unbelief. Speaking of miraculous, I went to see Exodus the other night with my family. And uh, it's a fascinating movie, and I, I do recommend you go see it. Uh, and by the way, just know that the, you're, they're going to be going down Scripture, and then they're going to go like this for a while, <laughs> okay? And they're going to be going for a long time, and then at the end, it's going to come back towards Scripture with the ten plagues. And I'm telling you, it's worth going to see, just to see what Hollywood can create with those ten plagues. And by the way, a lot of them were very accurate to the biblical account. And that last plague, when that darkness comes over Egypt and the firstborn is slain, I tell you, it is powerful. Do you believe that happened? you believe it? I do too. So it's not such a stretch that something like this could happen. 
Many people in Hollywood believe it. I know the uh, director, I don't know him personally, Mr. Ridley, but I know, I believe he's an atheist, but he, he believes that many people in America believe it or he wouldn't have produced such a movie. And it, it is powerful. Again, you're not going to agree with a lot of it because it deviates from Scripture, takes lots of poetic license. But my point is, it's the miraculous. It's the supernatural. And you see it all throughout Scripture, and you'll see it especially here. But let me walk you through these five sins that people will refuse to give up even in the midst of such horrific conditions. Number one is the sin of idolatry. The sin of idolatry is the, is the prominent sin where in the Decalogue, in the, in the Ten Commandments, God commanded them, you shall have no other gods before me, you shall not make any graven images. And by the way, idolatry is alive and well today. It always has been, it always will be, even to the time of Christ, and people will refuse to give up their idols. Go with me to South Asia. Go with some of these brothers and sisters in the places that they've served, and you will see a plethora of idolatry. I'm literally, the last hotel I stayed in on an overseas mission trip, the first thing I saw when I walked in the hotel was this gross idol that people literally bow down and worship. As I go into the, into the towns and the villages and I knock on doors, the first thing I would see were these grotesque idols. And so I'm telling you, idolatry is real, and people... They cling to their gods and their goddesses, and they make graven images of them. And even during the Great Tribulation, they will not jettison it. They will still hold on to these idols. Let me, let me make a statement. This is very controversial, but I believe with all my heart, I'm absolutely true to the Scriptures when I say, if you worship anything, anybody besides the Lord Almighty God in Scripture, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Be that another religion, be that another cult group, be that, an, be that a trinket, then you are worshiping demons. Demons. One of my friends who served overseas in Africa said, Islam... It's demonic. That's what it is. It is driven through demons. So is Hinduism. So all the other world religions say, Brother Danny, wait a minute, wait a minute, that is not politically correct. In fact, I don't even know if that's religiously correct. How can you make such a statement? It's in the Bible. If you still believe the Bible, then, then listen, to this, listen to this statement here. Let, let's bring this up on the, scre on the screen. What am I saying then, Paul says, that an idol is anything, or what is offered to idols is anything? Rather, that the, gen, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons. Okay? They sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not, Paul says, I do not want you to have any fellowship with demons. So, idolatry. And by the way, we got a lot of idols in Austin. Say, so, well, be careful, Brother Dan. <laughs> Yeah, we don't have the little, you know, the little Hinduism, the 330 million gods and goddesses in Austin. No, we have something far more sinister than that. We have our pleasures, and we have our wealth, and we have anything that would take us away from Almighty God, and we would give allegiance to it and worship to it. It has become an idol, and we have fall prey to demonic activity when we have anything that comes between us and Almighty God. And I'm telling you, it has proliferated all throughout the city of Austin. Prestige and power and mine, mine, I earned it, this is mine. 
and we fall prey to the worship of demons. Idolatry is real, and it's going to continue to be real until the time Christ comes. Number two, it's murders. There will be very little turning the other cheek during the Great Tribulation. By the way, this is something that just greatly grieves my heart today. As people are blown up, shot, stabbed, killed, tortured every day in this world. Just a few weeks ago in Ferguson, a man was of the wrong color. He made his way down into Ferguson, and he got out of his car, and he was beaten to death by hammers from people of a different color because they associated his color with violence and rioting. And so they beat him to death with a hammer. I was reading just the other day in the United Arab Emirates, an American lady, a school teacher, was walking through the mall, and she went into the bathroom, and a Yemeni lady went into the bathroom, all dressed in her, her, her garb, and she stabbed that woman to death. She said, I stabbed her and I killed her because she was a teacher. We don't believe in teaching. We don't believe in that educating women. And so, listen, these murderers, the, these, these gross, awful taking of human life, you think it's bad now, and it is? Wait till the Great Tribulation. There's no restraint. And there will be murder after murder, but people don't want to give it up. Number three is sorceries. And the word sorceries here in verse 21, some of you already know this, very fascinating, is the Greek word pharmakon. It's where we get the English word pharmacy, pharmacology. It has to, a good definition would be poisons, amulets, charms, drugs, magic spells, witchcraft. All of that is contained within this word sorceries which refers to the taking of drugs, mind-altering drugs, and it also has to do with witchcraft. And by the way, the Bible clearly forbids any of that. I believe the Bible would forbid any kind of mind-altering drug that would take you out of your right mind, and it equates it right here with witchcraft, whether it's cocaine and Dungeons and Dragons. I tell you, you watch this stuff. It will only multiply and multiply. And during the Great Tribulation, people will hold on to this. Because they, they sense there's power in that, and they will not give it up to worship the one true God. Number four is sexual immorality. Are we surprised here? I tell you, when, when Kyle spoke, I, I, can't, I really can't wrap my mind around it. I just want to be honest with you. I don't, I don't even I don't. That's a depth of darkness. I, I really don't even understand. How? Could you take an innocent eight, nine-year-old girl and shop her out to dirty, dastardly men? I don't, I don't understand. I mean, that is, a, that, is a, that is a depth of hell that I really can understand. That's why I have incredible respect for Kyle and for people like him who will go into the teeth of darkness and they will try to help and minister to those who have fallen prey. You, you guys know this. There's more slavery today than there's ever been in the history of the world. People are taken against their will, boys and girls, women, and they are shopped around for sexual pleasure. The Greek word is porneus. Does that sound familiar? In verse 21, it's where we get the English word pornography. I know I'm in a hurry, but I, I've got to read this. Listen to Revelation 21.8. eight. Let me tell you what God thinks about it. The cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers. By the way, that's porneus and pharmacon. Idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. 
It burns with fire and brimstone, and this is the second death. Fifth and finally is theft. It's only going to increase, and people are not going to give it up because they think that's their only way to survive. And as I was studying for this message this past week before I got into the accident, things got foggy after that accident. I don't know if you've ever had a concussion or a head-on kind of thing like that. It just kind of scrambles you a little bit. Mike Hurd came up on the scene. He said, I was seeing stars. I think he's right. Some of you are thinking, you're still seeing stars, brother. Well, I don't think so. I think I'm in my right mind. We'll be the judge of that in a moment. In 2013, an estimated 1.1, 663,000 violent crimes occurred in the United States, according to the FBI Uniform Report. Also, just last year, in 2013, there were 8,632,512 property crimes just in the United States. And again, all of this just magnified exponentially. There's coming that time during the Great Tribulation. And you know, as I read this, I would think, well, surely. I mean, a person at that time would quit giving allegiance to the Antichrist and start worshiping the real Christ. I mean, surely when you see one half of the world's population just devastated, you see all of this hell breaking loose on planet Earth, surely people will turn from their sin and they'll give their lives to Christ, but they don't. By and large, they do not. Because here's here's the deal, and don't miss this. The devil is an expert at convincing people today Yesterday and the future, that what he has to offer is better than what God has to offer. That is his deception. That is his ploy. So, that's the decree, the destruction, and the defiance. Now, if you're anything like me, after studying this, you're saying, Brother Dan, do you have, any, do you have anything encouraging to say? I mean, maybe do you have a... A word of affirmation because, man, this is, this is tough. This is intense. And I do. And I want to close my message with this word that I think, I think you're going to find this very, very fascinating. Last uh, two weeks ago, I was in Orlando. Uh, once a year, I go and meet with a group of, of pastors, and we just have a great time. We fellowship one another. We play golf, and we meet in the evenings to solve all the world's problems. That's, that's what we do. We just meet together and of course, I'm being facetious. We, we just get together and we have a good time. Graham Lacey, 70-year-old man from Britain, was invited by our host, Jay Strack, to come and speak to us pastors and preachers. And God's just given me friends in high places. I don't know how I got into this group coterie of men, but these are some, some wonderful pastors like Jack Graham, some wonderful preachers. And I'm, I'm just telling you that to say that this person who spoke to us is of the highest quality of reputation because what he shares will fascinate you. Okay? So in this deep British accent, Graham Lacey speaks to us, a group of pastors, about 40 of us in a room. And the first thing he says is, is, is he, he's... <laughs> I probably shouldn't tell you all this part, but, but he says America is facing this massive economic meltdown, and you can't stop it. It's coming. He said, because of our $17 trillion debt, we've crippled ourselves. There's no getting out of it. It's going to make the Great Depression look mild. And I was going, whoa, that's not very encouraging. And so Jay Strack said, but Mr. Lacey, tell him something encouraging. He goes, well, I will. 
And this is the story he told. Do y'all have time? Do you have a few more minutes? Okay, so we'll share the story. We'll have our invitation. We'll go get our kids, and we'll approve our budget, hopefully, in that order. He says, this story has just come out. This is why you have never heard the story before. He said, years ago, Winston Churchill's grandson worked for me. For three years, he was my secretary. Now, this Graham Lacey guy, y'all, I, I, I don't know who he is, but he's some high-powered dude. Jay Strack says he has more influence on his life than any other person who's ever lived. And so I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm listening. He said, Winston Churchill's grandson was my secretary for three years. And we were in America, and this is the time of Billy Graham's crusades. Even though this happened years ago, it's just now come out, and there's a reason why, and I'll tell you in a moment. He said to me, Mr. Lacey, I want to meet Billy Graham. Billy Graham and my grandfather, Winston Churchill, had a conversation 10 years after the war, and I want to ask him about that conversation. And Graham Lacey said, I can do that for you. He goes to the crusade where Billy Graham is preaching, goes to the hotel, goes to the hotel room of Billy Graham. Billy Graham had just preached to thousands and thousands of people, and he's sitting in his hotel room, and he's not feeling good that night. And he sits down on a chair, and he puts his feet up on the bed. And Billy Graham looks at Graham Lacey and looks at Winston Churchill's grandson and says, how can I help you? I'm, kind of, I'm shaking a little bit as I tell the story. Winston Churchill's grandson said, uh, Dr. Graham, 1954, on Downing Street, London, England, you met with my grandfather, Winston Churchill, and I want you to tell me about that conversation. Billy Graham says, I cannot. He says, I can't. I cannot divulge that information because Mr. Churchill and I agreed that we're not going to talk about this. And he said, come on, man. He said, I'm his grandson. You've got, to, you've got to tell me the, the, the story. And so toward the end of the conversation, Billy Graham says that he kept to his integrity. He said, I'm going to tell you the story, but you've got to promise me that you will never tell it publicly until your mother is deceased. That's just the way it's got to be. And, and Winston Churchill's grandson said, absolutely. He said, yes, I will not say anything about this conversation until my mom is deceased, and then we'll make it known. So now, here we are today... And this story is just now coming out, and it goes like this. Here's what happened. Billy Graham, 1954, is in Winston Churchill's office. And Winston Churchill looked at Billy Graham, and he said, I have one question, only one. If you cannot answer this question, sir, I respect that. Just tell me you don't know. But if you know the answer to this all-encompassing question, then you must tell me the answer. You know what the question was? The question was, is Jesus Christ coming again? Will he come again? And Billy Graham says, Prime Minister, if it's okay with you, and he did just this, he, he said, I'm going to kneel on my knee where you're sitting in this chair, and I'm going to show you in the Word of God where Jesus Christ is who he says he is, and one great glorious day, he's going to come again. An hour and 20 minutes into the conversation, somebody knocks on the door, it's one of the attendants, and he's trying to interrupt the prime minister and the preacher. And Winston Churchill, as only he could, gave him a look and gave him a few choice words and said, get out, 
I'm talking to this preacher. So he leaves. And they wrap up the conversation, and Billy Graham says, Mr. Churchill, do you mind if I close us in a word of prayer? He said, that would be fine. And Billy Graham says, I prayed, and when I said amen, Winston Churchill was not there. He said, I began to look for him, and I found him. He was standing in a corner at a window, looking out over the city, and tears were pouring down his face. And Winston Churchill told Billy Graham these words. Sir, you'll never know the impact your words have had on my life this very day. Thank you, and you can go. So Billy Graham tells the story to Winston Churchill's grandson. Winston uh, Churchill's grandson is not a believer. And he says, well, Mr. Graham, I need to tell you something. And he says, and what is that? He said, when my grandfather died, um, and you probably already know this, that in England there's a certain reverie, there's a certain song that is reserved only for born-again, dedicated believers, followers of Jesus Christ. If that song is ever played at your funeral, you requested it, and it means that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And I just want you to know something, Dr. Graham, that at my grandfather's funeral, he demanded that this song be played. And at that moment, Billy Graham began to weep because he said, on that day in 1954, I believe with all my heart, Winston Churchill gave his life to Christ. Isn't that a story? I had never heard this story. In fact, they said this story is just now coming out, and and Graham Lacey shared it with us a couple of weeks ago. But the thing that astounded me of all the questions Churchill would ask, he would ask the question of the book of Revelation. Is all this true? Will he really come again? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. We'll have a time of invitation, time of commitment to the Lord. With your heads bowed and with your eyes closed, I want to make this appeal to you today. That it's the question of prime ministers and presidents and paupers and all in between. Is Jesus Christ, is he really God? Is he really the one born of the Virgin Mary? Did he really die a substitutionary death and rise again? Will he come again and make all the evils right? Will he reign in righteousness? Is there hope? Will he come? My answer is yes. Somebody said one time that good news, it's only good news if you hear it in time. And I'm so glad for you here today, you've heard this story in time. And you have an opportunity, if you have not already, that you have the opportunity today to forsake your idolatry To turn, repent of your sins, and place your faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone for salvation. If you've never done that, I appeal to you. I beg of you to do that at this very moment. You tell the Lord what is already you know in your heart to be true, that you're a sinner and that you have forsaken God and you need God in your life. And believe on Him, call upon Him, repent of your sins, and be saved this very December the 14th. Would you do that today? Call upon the name of the Lord. The Bible says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Others of you are here today and you need to be encouraged. 
you're flailing in your walk with Christ and you, you just see all the evil, you see all the enormity of the bad and it just overwhelms you and you say, is God still on the throne? Will God still come and save the day? And He will. And I hope you're encouraged and I hope that you receive strength today from the preaching of God's Word. Some of you today need to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. You need to come and say, I identify with Christ. I'm not ashamed. I'm going to walk with Him, and I'm going to serve Him. I was baptized as a baby, but that doesn't really count. I I need to do it as an adult. I need to do this where I publicly demonstrate my faith in Christ. I want you to come. Others of you here today, you're looking for a church home. You're looking for a place. You really are looking for a bastion of evangelical conservative doctrine that you can latch on to and you can latch your family to. And I invite you to come. Make this your church home. I'm praying every day. I'm praying every day that God would bless our church and He would grow us physically, spiritually, numerically, financially. So why don't you come and be a part of what God is doing here in this place. Father, we praise You. We thank You. We thank You, God, for the truth of the Scriptures. Thank You, Lord, that it's beyond our understanding at times. Thank you, Lord. President Woodrow Wilson was right. We, we have to have faith. We cannot make our understanding the standard of the universe. We, we have to believe. And so, Lord, I pray that belief would just be sprinkled and proliferated all throughout this vast sanctuary today. There'd be a spirit not of unbelief, but a spirit of belief and trust in Jesus and Him alone. For this is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet, sing a song of praise to the Lord. Others of you may want to come. Come kneel at the altar. Come give your life to Christ. Let one of these men of God, let one of these women of God, these counselors, talk with you and share with you. Terry's going to lead us, and I invite you to come even now. And I'm going to be praying for you even now.